Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring. It is flu season here in California and no doubt around the country. This year's flu is a particularly uh, harmful strain or strains, it appears, many strains. What about religious objections or other objections to flu vaccines, especially among health care workers? Our guest today, my good friend and colleague, Professor Jim Sonny, director of the Stanford Law School Religious Liberty Clinic. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, Jeff. Thank you, Alan. Great to be with you. So, religious objections, other objections to flu vaccines, how widespread are these objections? Well, the objections uh, come in a variety of forms. Uh, the one that I think has gotten the most attention recently is the religious objection, uh, and that is an employee who works in the healthcare field objects to a mandatory vaccine. Uh, against influenza uh, on religious grounds. This is not a large group of workers. I think that's important to remember. We're talking about workers who both work in the healthcare field and have a religious objection, a sincerely held religious objection to having the vaccine. But it's significant enough that even the federal government has gotten involved to see if there um, can be a way to administer vaccine policy in a balanced way that recognizes the religious liberty interests of these employees. Well, I understand why hospitals might want their employees to be vaccinated. Um, they obviously want to reduce the spread of disease in the hospitals. That's pretty commonsensical. Um, why do some employees in healthcare? what are their religious objections? Sure. Well, you're right to note that it's good policy to have these requirements. And I think the current public health goal that the HHS, Department of HHS, has set is for to have a 90% rate of vaccination across hospitals. And currently, I think we're only about 78. So there's some work to be done. But as you point out, there are religious objections, and they tend to go across a variety of faiths. Uh, there's no one particular faith that has a sort of dominant role on these objections, uh, but they tend to be people who believe that uh, taking the vaccine into their body would somehow somehow interfere with their relationship with God or otherwise um, upset the way in which they understand how uh, the disease process works or for a variety of sincerely held religious beliefs. And as a general matter, there is a distinction between those beliefs that are deeply held and are religious, at least under the law, and those that are maybe a personal moral objection or um, some uh, some other some other type of objection. But you can tend to see those that breakdown of those two types in, say, the school vaccine context as well. I have a great resistance to the notion of a compulsory vaccine simply from the standpoint that, you know, this is the government telling us that we have to allow a substance into our body. It's a violation of our physical person. And if there's any notion of individual rights, you know, and, and we, we now surrender autonomy over our physical person, you know, and I guess that public health is, is an important 
uh, public policy concerns. You know, I, I get that, but, but I do have a sticking point here. And so, but I suspect that those who do have religious objections can be challenged on whether it's a sincerely held religious belief. Are you finding that? I do survey the case law on this. Um, is there a problem with establishing a bona fide religious objection as opposed to just kind of the sort of general objection that, that I have raised that, you know, somebody might not want to be compelled to do it? Uh, yes. Many employers uh, challenge the sincerity or at least the religious nature of the objection. Uh, and sometimes successfully. So as I said, if it's something that it's just an objection to vaccines generally or some other concern uh, that's not rooted in necessarily have religious beliefs, uh, it's going to be more of an uphill battle for the employee. Uh, and you're also, but those that are necessarily held uh, are generally recognized in the EEOC, the federal agency that oversees uh, the anti-discrimination laws uh, for the federal government as a pretty uh, pretty broad test in terms of what counts as religion. And that makes sense because we also uh, want to be careful about uh, judges and government officials weighing whether or not something um, is religious or not. We, it, it may be necessary to apply the law, but uh, I think making those judgment calls you know, presents a host of, of other challenges. As far as the uh, the mandatory nature of the vaccine, I think you see in a variety of contexts that uh, these kinds of thorny issues present themselves um, where there is a legitimate issue or concern on the employer's part, where it does make sense that they would want to protect their patients in this way and want to have a mandatory across-the-board rule. That makes sense, but you're also right that that, that sort of mandatory approach raises civil liberties concerns generally and in particularly when it comes to employees with religious objections. And the goal really is to find a balance. Is there a way? Um, if there's not, then so be it. But is there a way to balance those interests in a way that can protect both the employee's religious liberty rights as well as the um, interests that the hospital has and protecting safety? And if there's not, then safety would prevail. Uh, but if there is, and in most of the cases where uh, workers have either prevailed or there's been a settlement. It's been in circumstances where the worker has, for example, little patient contact or um, or otherwise could wear a mask or you know, take other measures that would serve both goals. Well, I'm going to get there in a moment, but you know, I will observe kind of on, on the other side of this that there are intrusions that uh, I certainly want to continue. For example, drug testing of airline pilots. You know, I'm flying almost every week. I sure want the pilots not to be drunk or stoned flying a plane, right? So, sure, yeah. sure. And, you know, back, if I may, on that very point, once again, if there are other, if there are the testing certainly um, is something that, yeah, we, when it's a high safe, when it's a high risk situation like that, sure, it makes all the sense in the world to have a, a, an across the board rule. Once again, though, maybe, for example, we represented uh, truck drivers who are Sikh and do not remove uh, hair for uh, for religious reasons, uh, and they were asked to submit drug test drugs uh, hair samples for drug testing, um, and they offered fingernails instead. Said you could do fingernail testing just as effectively, and that's something that if it is truly effective, if it does make sure that it 
protects the public in that way, then there can be solutions to these things. So even when we have a mandatory sure. rule uh, that makes sense, there sometimes are, if we try hard enough, we could sometimes figure out a way to balance the interest. Again, if there's no choice, um, then we may be stuck with the mandatory rule for understandable reasons. But if it's possible to accommodate, um, we should try to do so. So I want to get to the issue of how um, those with objections are accommodated. But, but before I do, I'm wondering whether in some of these legal battles, have those who were denied accommodation re- challenged whether the mandatory flu vaccine uh, really served the interests of public health, given, you know, CDC reports, you know, in given years that maybe the flu vaccine uh, missed the mark in terms of the flu strain that year? And how effective is it really if uh, they got the wrong, you know, the wrong flu strain they're vac- uh, you know, doing the vaccine against? question. I haven't seen much of that argument. You're right to point out that the current strain, for example, this year that's been particularly troublesome is the H3N2, and the success rate has been lower for that strain of virus than in typical years. Um, Typically, we're we're in the sort of 40 to 60 percent range of effectiveness. So you're right to point out the fact that there is an argument about effectiveness. Uh, I haven't really seen it much in the cases in a, in a similar way to where courts de- tend to defer to to whether uh, the religion is a sincerely held one. Um, they also tend to defer to the experts on whether or not the vaccine is something that's that's necessary, at least in the abstract. Uh, and, the burden on, and the burden on employers, as you know, to demonstrate that at least under federal law is uh, a de minimis burden. All they need to show is that to make the accommodation, um, it would cause them some harm. And I think even at 50% or even perhaps lower, uh, they would be able to to muster that defense. Um, the question then becomes, though, is there some other way uh, to do it? So um, what kinds of accommodations have been utilized with, you know, say nurses, you know, working in, in hospital wards? Sure. So with regard to employees with actual patient contact, uh, so usually uh, masks or something or uh, requirements that they stay home if they're symptomatic in any way, um, hand washing, that sort of thing. Um, but as I mentioned before, when you're actually talking about, say, nurses in a hospital ward, the protections there for religious objection are on shakier ground than, say, uh, a transcriptionist in the, in the office or someone in human resources or something, someone like that who has very little contact. In those cases, uh, you will see masks. You will see other types of precautions that are taken. Uh, but it really, there's sort of a spectrum depending on um, how much patient contact the employee has. And again, we're not talking about a large number of, of, of workers. So, I mean, I think I hear you saying that if, if you're in nursing or some form of, of patient care, and that's what you're doing day in, day out, you could be, uh, you know, radiology, you know, doing x-rays or, you know, whatever, um, that really the employer is going to be on pretty solid ground saying you got to get the vaccine. There's not going to be an accommodation that we can do for your objection. Is that uh, 
pretty much how the, tends, how the sports are coming down. Yeah, that tends to be right. In the last, say, five years, there have been about 15 cases on this question. Most have settled, which does suggest that the employer, the hospital, saw a problem. And those that settled are those where the employee prevailed. They tend to be um, those with limited patient contact, like an accountant or a you know a sonogram tech or, or something like that, or customer service employee. Um, not so much uh, you know direct patient contact. Now, in the minute we have left, we just saw that the EEOC filed a case on behalf of a nurse whose job offer was revoked because they would not submit to the mandatory flu vaccine. you know much about that case? Yes, I do. That case was uh, filed, I believe, in, in Michigan, and it was a transcriptionist whose job offer was withdrawn. Um, she had an objection to the flu vaccine on religious grounds, and uh, my understanding is because she would ultimately be working from home and offered to wear a mask that the EEOC thought that this is something that they should take up, which is significant because, as you know, from your work in employment discrimination cases, those cases need to first be presented to the EEOC for its consideration to see if there's a broader problem. The agency tends not to be to get personally involved or directly involved, it tends to defer to the parties. This is the fourth such instance where the EEOC itself has said, there's a problem here and the federal government should commit its resources to addressing it. So the fact that the EEOC um, is interested and wants to pursue these cases, to find that balance is a significant thing the hospital should be aware of and that with appropriate uh, approaches that take into account these concerns um, to try to find measures to balance it, uh, they can fulfill their obligations. We're out of time. Our guest, Professor Jim Sonny, Stanford University Law School Religious Liberty Clinic, talking about accommodation of religious objections to flu vaccine. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Ryan. Until next week, let freedom ring.